Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, we're in this series called Jesus Inside Out, and basically, we're talking about how Jesus turned things just inside out and upside down, all right? He said, kind of characterized in this statement where he says, your leaders have told you this, but I say unto you this. And he basically presents a completely different way of looking at life, a very countercultural way of looking at life, but even more than that, a counterintuitive way of looking at life. Like it sometimes doesn't feel good to do the things that Jesus tells us to do. Like it goes against everything we've been taught, everything we're experiencing in our, in our environment. So last week, we, we talked about this in many ways. We talked about how religion was based on external appearance. You dress right, you talk right, you, you do the right things. This is what faith was all about. It's just doing all the right things. And Jesus comes along and says, nope, that's not it. What I'm looking at is I'm looking at the inside. And I just need to reiterate that. God is more concerned about your heart than he is about anything you do on the outside. One person believes that in this room. Amen. <laughs> God is concerned about your heart. And so if you come here and you sit down and, you, and everything looks good and, you're, and you've got your act together, you make sure your hair is right and you're, you're dressed appropriately and you look the Christian part, that's great. I, I, lo- I love that. Don't, don't come any other way. But if on the inside things are in turmoil, if on the inside things are not right, what I want to challenge you and what we've been challenging you in this series is we need to focus in on that part. That's the piece that we need to register. That's the piece that we need to look at. That's the piece that we need to engage is what's happening on the inside. And this is what we've been talking about. So last week we saw this in the home of Simon the Pharisee, a well-respected Pharisee. And Jesus comes on and he rebukes the well-respected Pharisee and he commends the prostitute who was a, a mess. And we're going to see that again today in this passage. Before I get into that, though, I, you know, some of you know that um, last summer I went on a uh, sabbatical. And part of our sabbatical was go to, to Colorado. I went to Colorado for a few weeks. And so before going to Colorado, I kind of went on the Internet looking for fun things to do in Colorado, you know, and trying to find some things that we can, that we can you know, engage in and... I wanted a dirt bike and those kind of things. But I came across an article about avalanches. Now, I would not ne- normally not ever be interested in reading about an avalanche <laughs> or avalanches. But what caught my attention was a caption. The caption said, annually 30 plus people die in avalanches in the United States. And I read them like, why are there so many people hanging around by avalanches? You know, And so it caught my attention. And so I started reading because I'll never do that. You'll never see me. I'm, I will never be near a place where an avalanche can occur because I'm not really into s- snow skiing. Some of you might be, but it, why do that, right? So, <laughs> yeah, some people, yeah. Other people are like, hey, Rich, careful. But anyways, in this, in this article, it talks about how to survive an avalanche. Like if you get stuck beneath snow, how do you survive? Because apparently what happens is you get disoriented when you're buried under the snow. And when you're buried on a stone, you, you, you don't know where you're at, and so you have the potential of digging in the wrong direction. And they even cited a person that was found 
who uh, got buried under the snow, and then when they found him, he was dead, but when they found him, he had dug 30 feet deeper into the snow from where, we, from where he was. And so what they say, kind of give you some technique on how to, how to survive if you get buried in an avalanche is you kind of dig a little cavity in front of your mouth, you know? If you're buried under your, covered by snow, you kind of pull your, free your hand up and dig yourself a little cavity. And then once you do that, you spit, and if the spit falls back on your face, then you know you're facing in the right direction, and then you need to dig that way out. If it doesn't, you kind of need to reorient yourself into the right direction so you can get yourself out. And so this is really what Jesus does. He's going to give directions to some people who are directionally challenged. People who are trying to go up when really they need to be going down. Luke 18, this is how he says it. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus in this very short verse challenges everything that we are told culturally. He says, listen, instead of always relentlessly trying to get to the top, trying to, to, to beat everyone else to be the best, Instead of relentlessly trying to do that, what you need to do is you need to go in the different direction. And he basically redefines greatness. He says you need to humble yourself. That really the greatness is not something that you ascend to. Greatness is something that you descend to. And it's very counterintuitive for us because we live in a world that doesn't tell us that at all. Our world says, and, he, and I'm not talking about the non-Christian world. I'm talking about the world. All of us. All of us are going to go to work tomorrow and that's the messaging that's going to get. If you're going to succeed, you've got to go up. And as a Christian, we embrace that oftentimes. Even within Christian organizations, we embrace it. And so Jesus here is redefining greatness. That's why here at Life Church, we, we put a premium on something. We call it serving. One of the ways that we believe that you're going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is that you're going to engage in serving here at Life Church and in your community, in your community and in, in, in your workplace and different places that you might find yourself in. Because when you serve, you're putting somebody else first. Instead of going up, you're going down. And God honors that. So this statement that Jesus makes in verse 14 comes right after a parable that he tells. In this parable, he basically brings out two characters, a, a Pharisee. We talked about the Pharisee last week basically top of the food chain. He's at the very, he's, he's, in the, he's the elite in their society. And then he introduces a tax collector. And I don't want you to think like first century version of an, of an IRS agent. That's not really what a tax collector was back then. Instead, think of more like Bernie Madoff, somebody who made a living cheating people out of their money. And they're despised. And this is really what a tax collector was. And so you're looking at this social ladder. You've got two people on the very opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum. You have this well-respected, this certified, holy Pharisee. And then you have this tax collector who is certified unclean and despised by the people. And then Jesus tells us about them. In verse 9, he first starts by telling us who his audience is. He says, to some, notice he says some, Okay, not everybody, but to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Now, they must have had those kind of people back then. I'm, we don't, nobody in this room is like that, I know. I might fall in that trap a little bit every once in a while, but 
confident in their own right. That's his audience. That's who he's talking to. And this is what he says to them in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by, stood by himself and prayed. Like he, the imagery that Jesus is giving here is that the Pharisee steps into the spotlight. Like he steps in front of everybody for everybody to see him and he prays. Let's go to the next slide. And he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And I imagine he pointed at the tax collector, like that guy over there. I'm not like that guy. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. <laughs> and so this Pharisee begins to pray and he's praying about himself. And he's kind of like reading off his resume to God. And I, and I hear this and I'm like, who would pray this way? Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine, you know, starting your prayer and say, God, I just want to spend some time with you and, you know, I just want to thank you for a few things. I want to thank you, God, for the fact that I'm just better than everybody else. I mean, that, that's essentially what this guy's praying. I'm just better than everybody else. Like, I hear this, I read this when I'm going through my reading, and I read this, I'm like, who would pray this way? I would never pray like that. I, I, I would never pray like that. And you see what happens? Suddenly, I'm the guy who says, I'm not going to pray like the guy who, prayed, who says he's not like the other guy. That's who I am. And it's, it's insidious. I mean, it just gets into us because this is how we are. He thinks he's better than others. Now, I know that we wouldn't, may not ever use those words. I'm sure none of you in this room say, God, I just thank you that I'm better than everybody else. But we say it in different ways. We might say, for example, well, I'm not going to apologize. They need to apologize. I'm not the one. They're the one. And essentially, what we're saying when we do that, it's, it's pride that's seeping in. The Bible talks about pride, how it breeds corals. Pride loves conflict. And so it's pride that steps into us and we begin to say, well, look, I'm not bad. They're the ones. It's their fault. We point the finger and we take it, the attention off of ourselves. And we may not say, I'm better than this person, but when we refuse to acknowledge that we're wrong, when we refuse to say, I'm sorry, when, when, we, when we do something that legitimately is not right, and then we don't take you know, responsibility for it. That's pride. And it's the same thing as this Pharisee who's praying. We might say things like, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> I'm not the problem, you're the problem. Anybody ever heard that before? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not hard for us to see the wrong in other people. We do this all the time, Right? We're able to judge another person for the flaw in their life and basically let ourselves off the hook all the time. The Bible says that we see the speck in another person's eye, but we're blind to the plank in our own eye. Pride is blinding. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was driving back to Cedar Rapids and I had my nine-year-old granddaughter, Ellis, in the back seat, and we were headed, I was taking her home. And, um, 
And, you know, there's a lot of traffic. There was some traffic because of some construction in Cedar Rapids. And so I'm driving, and, and I'm having some conversations with other drivers, okay? Just because of stuff. And so I'm driving, and my granddaughter says, Pops, you're just like my dad. I'm like, really? So yeah, he talks to all those other people, and they can't even hear him. <laughs> and she's right. I was talking, and I wasn't really saying, hey, thank you so much. You're such a great driver. Um, yeah, you know, whatever. I wasn't saying those things. It was always, see, it's always when this happens, when I begin this dialogue, it's always the other guy's fault or the other gal's fault, which is usually the case. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but, but statistically speaking, okay, statistically speaking, that's the other guy's fault. <laughs> We see it in other people, but we don't see it in ourselves, all right? Something else we might say is, did you hear about blank? And it just feels good for ourselves to negatively talk about other people. Or we might say something like, I don't need help. And that's pride too. When I, when I come to this place where I think I don't need help, I'm essentially... I know that I could use help from people around me, but I'm essentially saying, God, I'm independent. And I forget that I'm actually very, very dependent upon God. <clears throat> so we may never say, God, thank you that I'm not like this other person. We may never say, God, I thank you that I'm better than everybody else, but we have a lot of other ways that we say that. And so one of the things I want us to see, a couple of things I want us to see about this Pharisee is that when our faith is externally focused, it always leads to performance. It always leads to performance. Becomes defined by who we are in public. Like we're managing our, our, our image so that people can see who, you know, see something about us. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 23, 5. He says, everything they do is for other people to see. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, it, Pharisees, they were just actors. They were playing a role. Like it's on the outside, but it's not really on the inside. We see this all the time in social media. I'm not against social media. Social media is a good tool, but it also can be a place where this stuff gets just kind of accentuated, accentuated. It's always about presenting a better version of ourselves. It's always about controlling appearances or, you know, it's always about the outside. And I know you might be thinking, well, Rich, really, come on, don't be so negative on it. Well, do you ever post the worst part of you? Like, I know you're going on a beach, on a vacation, and you're going to have family photos, and you're going to go to the beach, and you're all going to dress in khaki pants and a white t-shirt, and you're going to take a nice picture, and it's going to be so awesome, and you post that one. But what you don't post is a picture in the van on the way where everybody's yelling at each other, and you, you forgot what? You don't get that white shirt dirty, and the kids are crying and screaming. You don't take a snap of picture and say, look at us. We're just not getting along. We don't do that. Because we're managing our image, right? Another thing that happens, <clears throat> another thing that happens when our faith is externally focused is it leads to comparison. And this Pharisee does that. And typically when we compare, we always compare our best attributes against somebody, else, somebody else's worst attributes. That's usually how we do it. <laughs> because if we compare our best attributes against somebody else's best attributes, sometimes 
Their attributes are better, you know? So let's not do that. I was compared down that way, and that leads to pride. Or sometimes we compare up. We see all the amazing attributes of others, and it creates this insecurity inside of us, and guess what? That also, that also leads to pride. That's also another form of pride. Again, I think social media makes it a little bit more challenging for us when we talk about this, because I see oftentimes social media is a big comparison trap. We spend hours scrolling, seeing the best version of people that we know. The nice house, the amazing vacation, the beautiful pose, and you're like, whoa, you look like that? You didn't look like that last Sunday, but you sure look like that now, you know? And we do that, we do that, we do that, and finally this thing creeps in and we feel like we need to somehow or another come up with a better version of ourselves so that we can compete against this sometimes made-up version of them. It's just this big comparison trap. Another thing that happens is that we tend to put confidence when we're externally focused, we tend to put confidence in our accomplishments instead of Jesus Christ. Five times this Pharisee says, I, in that verse. Like he's talking about what he has done. Again, this is pride. We see this all the time. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I, I get. And he was, they were religious about that. It wasn't just money. It wasn't just time. I mean, they like, if they got, somebody gave them a flower and there was 10 flowers, they would take one flower and they'd give it to the temple. I mean, that's how, that's how religious they were about it. They were very, very strict about that. And they're very proud about that. Warren Wiersbe, theologian, philosopher, he talks about this, about this Pharisee. He says, look, the great sin of the Pharisee was hypocrisy based on pride. Their religion was external, not internal. It was to impress people, not to please God. I pause there for a second, just so you know, what we do in our faith Ultimately, is to just give, bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And they, bound, and they bound people with heavy burdens while Christ came to set people free. They loved titles, they loved public recognition, and they exalted themselves at the expense of other people. So after introducing the Pharisee, Jesus now introduces this tax collector, okay? And this is what he says in verse 13. But the tax collector stood, and notice where the tax collector stands, at a distance, he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a completely different prayer, a completely different posture. He stands at a distance. Like he doesn't, he's not there for the show. He's not there to manage his image. He's not there to do any of that stuff. He just stands at a distance in the, in the shadows if he could. Because he knows that he needs something from God. He knows, he knows that he's not exactly where he needs to be. And so I guess the question I would ask you is, when was the last time you, you prayed at a distance? And not for show. Meaning, it was just you and God in humility. He doesn't look up to heaven, which is this acknowledgement that he understands his sinfulness. He understands that God is holy. He displays his spirit of humility. He beats his chest 
recognizing he's beating his chest like he knows. I just see this. I can see him standing here beating his chest like he knows it's not this. It's inside that needs help. There's something on the inside that needs a change. And God, I need you. There's this authenticity in his prayer. And so you've got this Pharisee who thinks that God should be impressed with his resume. And just so you know, God's not impressed with those who want to impress him. And then you've got this tax collector who has no illusions of his greatness, who says, God, have mercy on me. <clears throat> so Jesus tells the story. And then I, 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 you know, I wrote in my notes, and he drops the mic, but he really didn't drop the mic. He dropped a grenade. <laughs> That's what he did. He drops a grenade. And he basically says in verse 14 that like, he rebukes the prayer of the Pharisee, and then he commends the prayer of the tax collector. It's what he says. He goes, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt, that's our verse that we started with, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's this tax collector that gets to go home justified, he says, not the Pharisee. Those listening, the audience are like, Whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. I think you got your notes a little bit mixed up. Like, remember? Pharisee, he fasts twice a week. He tithes off everything he gets. I mean, he should get some credit for that, right? And look at him. Look what, how he looks. And he has a nice house. And he's successful. He has all this stuff. Certainly, that's what you mean. They said, this guy is the one that went home justified. And we realize as we're reading through this parable, listening to this parable, that maybe what Jesus is looking at is different than what we are looking at. We're looking at the external. Jesus is looking at the heart. I think sometimes in church, <clears throat> we are looking for quick solutions to some of our spiritual problems. I've heard this a hundred times, where somebody comes to me and says, Rich, can you just, can you just tell me what to do? I mean, I appreciate that. It, gives, it makes me feel like, well, I got some knowledge to give, <laughs> you know. But what we're looking for is like this, this quick way to kind of solve these external issues that we have, right? Like, what are my action steps? And I'm telling you that there is no substitute for humbling ourselves before God. There is no substitute for humbling ourselves before God. I know it isn't what you want to hear. I know it. I've actually had these conversations. Yeah, okay, Rich. Okay, humble yourself before God. But what do I need to do to fix my marriage? Yeah, yeah okay, Rich, fine. Hum I'm taking notes. Humble myself before God. But what do I need to do to break this addiction in my life? And I mean, there's a lot of practical advice that we can give. But it starts with a posture of the heart where we say, Jesus, I just, I just surrender. Like this, like this tax collector. I need you. I humble myself. There's something in this passage I think, I think it's easily missed, but it's incredibly profound. Verse 14, where, um, where Jesus, the passage we started with, says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. He who does what? Humbles himself. Now, don't skip over this because I think sometimes it's easy for us, when we think about humility, the way we think about humility is more like a passive thing. 
Like you're, you know, you're kind of a gentle person and you're whatever, and you just kind of are humble. Like it just happens to you, right? But that's not really what we see here. It's not what the Bible's talking about here. The Bible's making it a very active thing. It's, it's, some, it's an action that we're doing. We are actually humbling ourselves. That's really what we're seeing here. I don't know if you know who Nick Walenda is. Nick Walenda is this aerialist, you know, that um, crossed the Niagara on a tightrope and he crossed the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. And, um, and so he, I was reading something about Nick Walenda. He, he, uh, he, he does these events and thousands of people show up and people are just applauding him when he gets to the other side. He makes it across and it's just this amazing event. And, you know, there's a potential that he, like he's in the spotlight, like literally everybody is looking straight at him. He's in the spotlight. And he's doing an amazing feat. It's an amazing accomplishment. <clears throat> but you know what he does after the event? He spends hours cleaning up trash. This is what he says. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Turns out that Nick Walenda is actually a strong follower of Jesus. Humility does not come naturally to me, which I would say that probably doesn't come naturally to any of us. So I have to force myself into situations that are humbling. So be it. So if I have to force myself into situations, so be it. I do it because it's a way to keep, my, keep from tripping. As a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. I do it because I don't, in, because if I don't, Intentionally serve others, I will be serving nothing but my own ego. Notice what he says there. Humility doesn't come natural to me, so I have to make myself do this. If I don't, he says, I will trip up. And he uses a metaphor that we find in the Bible. Pride comes before the fall. So if you're here and you're, you're proud of who you are, you're proud of the things that you've done, you're proud of your accomplishment, you're, you're proud of your spiritual resume... And it's displayed on the outside. Just know that you're setting yourself up for a fall. No one sets a better example of this than Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, there's this passage, 5 through 10. Um, it's, it's called the Carmen Christi, and it's, it's, the, it's like one of the oldest hymns of the, of the, of the church, where they, are, where they would actually sing as, as a hymn in, in their worship, in their times together. That's what it says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Like he is God, but he didn't leverage that for himself. Rather, he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. Like, he did it. It was action. It wasn't passive. And this speaks to me. Like, I feel like God challenges me on this oftentimes and how I need to, if I, if I want to humble myself, what do I need to do? And for me, there's several things that let me share with you that the Lord's been teaching me on this, is if I'm going to humble myself, I'm, it means I need to voluntary, voluntarily confess sin. I need to voluntarily confess sin. If I confess sin because I get caught, well, I'm humbled, that's for sure. But I didn't humble myself. 
So I need to have a posture of a heart where I say, okay, have a, a group of people around me that care about me, that love me, that know who I am and know what I struggle with and go to them and say, hey, I need to just tell you this is, I struggle with this or I've done this. It's humbling myself. Now you have an option. The other option is you could just hide it, which is what we tend to do because we, maybe we don't have that community. Or maybe we don't understand the idea of what it means to really be exalted in this world. We think that we have to strive. And so we don't ever really confess sin. And we just hide it. And the problem with that is that eventually you will be humbled. Another thing I feel like the Lord's teaching me is, if I'm going to humble myself, that I need to give selflessly and anonymously. I give anonymously because... I don't need want to get credit necessarily. If, other, if I do it for other people to see, then the Bible says, well, guess what? There's your reward. <laughs> you, you, you gave it. Everybody saw it. There's your reward. The one, that, other one that you had, the other reward that you could have had, you don't get. But you get the one that everybody saw. So I do it anonymously. And selflessly or sacrificially because, <clears throat> because it cost me something. And when I do something like that, when, I, when we talk about generosity a lot around here, when I, when I do something, when I'm generous and it costs me something, this is what I'm saying to my own heart. I'm saying, God, you are more important than the stuff that I'm holding. It's humbling myself. A third thing I think that, that I need to do for myself to humble myself is I need to treat others better than myself. Paul says that in this same passage, in, in humility, value others above yourself right? Like this is so upside down from everything we learn in our culture, right? And yet, here's what I'm going to tell you. Tomorrow morning, you have an opportunity to do exactly this. In fact, you don't even have to wait till tomorrow morning. You can go home this afternoon, sit down with your wife, sit down with your husband, sit down with your children, and value them better than yourself. Imagine what would happen. Imagine if the Christian community took this very thing, Philippians 2, 5 through 10, took it seriously. Imagine what would happen with our marriages in, in the church when we valued the other person better than ourselves. There would be a revival. Amen. Another thing for me that I have to pay attention to is, in, is that I need to be willing to ask for help that's kind of hard for me, to be honest with you. It's a humbling thing to ask for help. Like, I'm the pastor. Like, don't I, like, don't I know everything? Don't you think, I think you think that, right? No. <laughs> Fortunately, you don't think that. Because I've, I've, I've spoken too many times and I've proved, proved myself wrong on that one. <clears throat> But it can be, be that way. You can have this idea of yourself where you think like, you, you know, you're just perfect. We really look, sometimes we look our, ourselves in the mirror and we convince ourselves that we just do nothing wrong. So why should I ask anybody for help? And yet, we need help, right? So what are some ways that you can humble yourself? What are some ways that you can, be hum- that you can humble yourself this week? Not be humbled, but humble yourself. So Philippians 2, it says, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, number one, made himself nothing, and number two, he humbled himself. And then this is a response in verse 9. Therefore, 
because he humbled himself, because he made himself nothing. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess under the earth, on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. Let's all stand. I'm not asking you this morning to be humbled, to pretend like you're humble. That's not what I'm asking. What I'm talking about is an internal assessment of who we really are, being authentic. One of our values around here is authenticity, and we talk about that a lot. It's being real about who you are, being authentic about who you are. And then when, when, that, when you come to terms with that, don't pretend to be something else. Humble yourself. Seek friends around you that can come alongside with you and walk with you and, and encourage you and build you up in your faith. Listen, according to this passage that we read, one day every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Some will bow because they've given their life over to Jesus and they've, they just honor him. But others, they will be made to bow. I heard it once said, what good is it? What credit do you get by kneeling if you couldn't even stand anyways? I'm not asking you to be humbled today. I'm asking you to humble yourself. And I know that may be hard to grasp. What does that mean? How do I do that? But just if you're married, look to the person next to you and just say, I want to do that towards you. If you're not married, if you're single, you might have some close friends. You might actually have some friends that annoy you. <laughs> that might be a good person to go to and serve them, love them. Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for those of us who are followers of Christ who need to be reminded from time to time that, that humility is not this passive thing. Humility is something that we do. We humble ourselves. But also, there might be some of you in this room right now that you've never, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've actually never humbled yourself to who Jesus is. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. And you have an opportunity to humble yourself today and say, God, I need you. And so that's you. We have this card in the seat back in front of you. Same card that Pastor Wayne alluded to, welcome home connection card. On the back, you could put your information. And then at the very bottom, it says, today I decided for the first time to follow Jesus. And if today you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, if today you're ready and willing to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I want to serve you, then check that box and give us your information. We want to follow up with you, all right? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you, God, because you are in this place. I thank you for your grace, especially your grace, that you're so long-suffering and so patient with us. We fail you over and over again. Sometimes we do it physically and in public, but at times we just do it in our own heart, in our thinking, in our way of treating the closest people to us, our family members. So Jesus, we, 
we repent. We repent of our sin. And like this tax collector, we beat ourselves on the chest and we say, Jesus, will you, will you do something with what's on the inside of me? Teach us, Lord, to humble ourselves. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.